I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Human Ordinary, true stories about our culture, our relationships, and all the things that make us human. So this one time, way, way back, not long after I started school, I wrote my first book. Although, had copyright lawyers been spying on our classroom at the time, I would have been in some hot poo. You see, I had not long learned to write, and this one day, I wrote out all the words I could remember from my favourite picture book. Now, I'm not sure how good my memory is now, but I think the book was Bears in the Night, which is one of those Berenstain Bears books. At any rate, the teacher was well impressed with my mad skills and sent me off to the principal's office, where I got a sticker and some encouraging words. To this day, it remains the first of two writing awards that I've received. It's impossible to recall what I liked about Bears in the Night. Maybe a particular page fascinated me or the cadence of the words. Maybe the slightly dark and suspenseful mood was a precursor to my current day love of spooky horror movies. But whatever it was, these days, picture books are once more a dominant feature of my life. Because I work a lot, I don't get much time to read for leisure, so the books I read to my kids are pretty much the only pages I get to turn. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of crap kids' books out there. There's ones with no sense of story. Actually, there's a lot like that. Or they've got boring characters, or characters who do some seriously questionable things. Like Mr. Tickle, one of those Mr. Men books, he just goes around all day touching strangers. And certainly in reading to our daughter, we want to give her stories that send positive messages about girls and women. And frankly, they're often hard to come by, especially with older books. There's this Dr. Seuss book that she likes featuring a brother and sister, and the brother does every bit of talking. Like, the girl is literally silent throughout the whole thing. And there's heaps of them like that. And look, maybe I'm just a whinging lefty for even noticing and thinking that it's a problem. And, you know, whatever. Because beyond all of that stuff, kids' books are often really, really boring and lack creativity and imagination. Sorry, I get very passionate about this subject. But I mean, pull your socks up, kids' authors. Fortunately, human ordinary producer Cinema Nippard met a husband and wife kids' book team who have their socks very firmly pulled right the way up. I still remember particular stories that my brother and I asked our parents to read us over and over again, and I still hold them dear to my heart. I never thought that one day my job would involve curating children's books. But the main part of my job at Kindling Kids Radio involves choosing books and pairing them with narrators. And let me tell you, there are some wonderful books out there. Last year, one book caught my eye. It's called If I Was Prime Minister written and illustrated by husband and wife duo Robin and Beck Finer. She's an illustrator and graphic designer who previously worked in advertising, and he's a writer and a creative in the advertising industry. When their son started asking questions about Australian politics, Beck and Robin got to work. Each page features a different child imagining what they would do if they were in charge of Australia. 
The ideas are fun, quirky and colourful. You know, you've got this meaningful moment where a kid thinks that the tooth fairy should give some of the money to someone who needs it more. But likewise, on the same page, there's um, a, note. a note where the tooth fairy has written that something stinks underneath yeah, the bed. Yeah, and I think that's, that's very much us. We build these scenes with lots of different things that you can actually find. And, and you know, while it's not laugh out loud funny necessarily to oh, say there's something stinky <laughs> under the bed, it's just undercutting the seriousness of the moment subtly. Yeah. yeah just to... And we, we always make sure, and I think our publisher was really good in making sure that we kept it really fun. I want to make it like it's a very serious world out there. Kids are getting really anxious. And so we just wanted to make sure that we actually made it a really enjoyable book. You know, there's a robot, there's a scene where that you could invent a robot to change your sister's nappy, you know, those kind of moments are just really fun and light and, and kid friendly. Across the pages, or double-page spreads of this colourful, fun kids' book is an undercurrent of kindness. And Robin says this is no accident. We had a, a very clear agenda, I think, to promote fairness, equality, a slightly left-leaning kind of persuasion, Well, that's what kids naturally like. are, though. Kids naturally are kind of unfiltered it, and innocent and want in, to make the it, world a better place. Inclusion was very important. Yeah. And at the same time, there was so much malfunction in government, not that there's not at the moment, but it was just particularly focused at the time. And um, I think we just went through and said, what are all the little things we'd like to, you know, Mm. highlight and focus? And we also talked to a lot of kids and got their ideas, like, you know, just rough ideas, and we kind of took them and formulated them into areas that we really wanted to you know, share and we thought were important. The topics are as diverse and wide-ranging as the kids featured in the book. Somebody has the idea to hang rainbows in the sky. Daisy. Daisy, (laughs) because rainbows make everybody so happy. And, you know, that was obviously a comment as well about um, marriage equality at the time. But just visually, the concept of these helicopters holding these... Um, sort of pre-constructed rainbows in the sky. Yeah. It was just, you know, beautifully depicted. And I I think um, that's what I love about doing kids' books. It's when when I was learning advertising, they used to say, you know, radio is so amazing because you can put somebody on the moon with a simple sound effect. It's so amazing that, you know, with no budget at all, you can teleport people. Well, it's the same with Becky's mm. illustrating skills. We can just create these incredible fantasy worlds yeah. and usually pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I am undiagnosed ADD. It's like Harper Collins says, all right, so you've got three months to do the book and she's ready to go in all week. I'm like, done, finished. Well, that's come from advertising, working in advertising. It's different, so different from getting kids' deadlines. Books. The deadlines are like... Um, we need an ad out next week. And what this are one, your favourite pages? Uh, I love the, well, I really like, it's, it's <clears throat> the last, like, kid spread idea where it's a rub and he invites, if he says that he wants to invite all the world leaders to his place to jump on a trampoline and share cupcakes so in that way they'd all get along and... And it was nice to draw the trampoline scene, but it was just world leaders flying in the air with cupcakes. <laughs> trying, to, They all kind of look like world leaders. We didn't want to date the book. So. <laughs> but just this idea of a kid's innocent that, you know, geez, if everyone just has some delicious dessert, we can all get along a bit better. And, yeah, I love the innocence of that, but also optimism about, yeah. you know, peace. 
That's oh, kind of idealistic. It is. It's that ideal. Way. It's that idealism. That's that's hundred percent. I mean, there's right. even a page in there where where we propose that we build tree houses for the homeless. Yeah. So they have somewhere nice and safe to sleep. Yeah. There's there's a spread in there where we say we would welcome everyone who comes to the country with a great big hug. Yeah. I mean, these are it's quite acts pointed. of kindness. You know, that and teachers have loved those acts of kindness. I think that's what they want to. Teach, because when we go and talk to students, you kind of have to go, okay, it's not about if I was prime minister, I would have all the money in the world. You know, you kind of try and teach them a bit more about these values. So Yeah, about giving back and sharing yeah. and being empathic. But yeah. I, th I think to Becky's point, you know, when we say we would welcome all these people to Australia with a great big hug, this is not a shock to a child. No. You know, this is a That's generally I mean. the way they feel, I think. And, um, they might just be sort of cut out of the whole, the whole loop, the conversation about mm. how adults have made a decision that refugees are to be treated a certain way and they're not included in that. And it's, if there is any inkling that they've, you know, they might've heard, then this is just, you know, reinforcing a more idealistic way. Yeah. And it. I actually think that the kids today are a lot more like learning about politics and stuff a lot earlier on than I ever did at school. And I actually think mm. we're in, I know climate change, all these awful things happening, but I think we're in quite good hands. <laughs> you think the kids coming, <laughs> growing up now are a lot more. Oh yeah. Switched on. Yeah. And just want to make change than we ever were. Mm. Oh, my head was in the sand. Look at Greta. Yeah. Beck and Robin only started creating books together in the last few years. In fact, it all kicked off when Beck was trying to teach her son the alphabet and wasn't really getting excited about stock standard entries like B is for banana. While she was on maternity leave, Beck set herself the goal of doing an illustration a day and posting it on Instagram. The Aussie Legends alphabet features 26 famous Australians, from sporting heroes like sprinter Cathy Freeman and AFL player Adam Goods, to NXS, Yothi Yindi, bushranger Ned Kelly and Steve Irwin. We'd be sitting in bed watching Netflix or something and I would be um, showing Robin like, oh, do you like this letter? And he'd be like, no, do it that kind of way. So it was good to get that input, but I knew I had to get one up. The, the most fun I had was helping to choose who we would oh, make the, the different actually, legends. Actually, we have had some major fights. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but the funniest thing yeah. is that, like, Robin goes, have you written your list for the alphabet? I'm like, nah, I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to come me. up with a new one. Kills and go, Becky. And I'm like, ah, oh, what about Ned Kelly? Like, and he'd be like. So I don't know um, if your listeners know, but we started with Aussie Legends alphabet. Yeah. And there's now 21 additional. But only in America. Now, there's a Lady Legends alphabet featuring amazing women like Beyonce, Amelia Earhart and Frida Kahlo. There's also a Dyslexic Legends alphabet featuring people like Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein and Pablo Picasso. Plus, there's a Soccer Legends alphabet, Wrestling Legends, Art Legends and many more. So how did they work out who was going to make the cut for the 26 people in the very first Aussie Legends alphabet? Well, it took a lot of planning. But no, I, no planning. There was planning. There was not. I remember planning. <laughs> this is now we're having a live fight. <laughs> there was no planning. Okay, so what I might be remembering yeah. are the tricky letters. Okay. So, for instance, we're looking ahead going, who is going to be X? Yeah. Who, you know, who is going to be Q? But I, what are we going to yeah. do for Z? 
when... Oh, yeah, Zed, because how do you end on Zed? Like, there were so no good we Zed. had to work out pretty quickly that sometimes on maybe two or three letters on every yeah. alphabet, the letter itself was going to have to feature within the name rather than as the starting Creative letter license. of the name. Neither of them could have imagined how much attention their alphabet would get. The letter F featured the ophthalmologist Fred Hollows, who is famous for his work trying to end avoidable blindness. He worked to restore the eyesight of thousands of people in Australia, particularly in Aboriginal communities, and also around the world. So I did the illustration for Fred Hollows, someone that was very high up in the um, Fred Hollows Foundation, contacted me. They put it on a website from the Instagram. A journalist from SBS found it, and that's kind of what, like, so... But it is fantastic because, you know, you've got a whole bunch of really incredible Aboriginal people in there. It's very diverse. Yeah, that was really like, important was, for us. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was, thank you. That was really important. I'm not seeing a lot of Indigenous, um, you know, legends being celebrated like they should. That was really important too. And and people then are not like, you know, we did cures for Queenie Mackenzie and no one really knows who Queenie Mackenzie is. She's an amazing um, Indigenous artist. So it was going, going, oh, do we risk doing someone that no one really knows, but people really got it. I was really impressed with the public when, you know, a few people said, oh, why Julia Gillard? You know. Yeah. And and why aren't there any liberal Yeah, and I was like, ah, oh, she was the first female prime minister. It's like, the you know, it's mm, just. You know, back to why we mentioned it, we're sort of indebted to social media because if, yeah. it, if it wasn't for that power, then I don't think SBS would have picked up on it. No. I don't think it would have led to a. A uh, publishing deal. Because, I mean, uh, just with publishing, I mean, I'd actually, I think we'd pitched the idea to a few publishers, the Aussie Legends one, and they'd rejected it. And it was really interesting because um, uh, the same publisher contacted me after it went viral and went, like, it was one of those moments where they're like, we're really interested in your book. And I didn't want to define, it wasn't like I wasn't actually doing it out of a mean way. I just didn't want to define like a paper trail of, paper trail, email trail of me actually contacting them. And I just said, uh, just so you know, I, um, <laughs> I contacted you a little while ago with this idea and I probably would have given it to you for 50 cents, but now speak to my agent, you know, but it is such a hard area and social. I always say to people when they want to get into publishing, how do I get in? I was like, you have to come up with such innovative ways to get publishers to notice you. Mm. Cause like they literally get millions of manuscripts every day and it might be a winning one they just don't know you know after the break we'll find out what happened next i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. With a book deal in hand, Beck quit her job at the advertising agency, and now the dynamic duo had to come up with book ideas. You know, obviously I can draw beautiful pictures, but I cannot sometimes spell. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the alphabet was good for me. And (laughs) 
<laughs> the viewers. <laughs> and um and also we we both like as much as we, you know, one of us is does do illustrations and one of us is a writer. Together we find we're con, you know we're conceptual thinkers. Yeah, we're a creative team in the traditional sense. Yeah, like in the way that an advertising creative team is made up of a writer and an art director. They take a brief and they go away and mm. they, they brainstorm ideas. Neither of them being the art director and the writer at that point in time. Mm. They're just a creative duo throwing ideas back and forth. That's what we do when we I know. come up with kids' books. I sometimes find, you know, when people said, so who did the words and, you know, who, how did you guys do it? And I always have to go back and say, well, we both threw around ideas. But then obviously you bo- you do need an illustrator, you do need a writer, and then mm. we got to work. But so that, that um, back to what I was talking about, it just threw open a door for us to, you know, we did the Aussie Legends Alphabet book, but then we were able to actually, we got offered further book um, deals and that allowed us to kind of go back to the, the drawing board and come up with a whole range of yeah because after the alphabet yeah. we didn't have another idea no so we knew we had to sort of sit down and do a brainstorming session to come up with more ideas and I think after a few brainstorming sessions we had you know six or so and ideas these, these are really painful sessions oh. these are the worst this is like you know when we're talking about collaborating it's They're painful like, but it's, it's also the most fun time I think is it yeah. <laughs> well look, it's it's painful it. it's painful but it's fun coming up with yes. weird ideas it is it is and it's painful and that's when um you do shoot down the other person's idea a little bit and you have to be really open to it too. And then we might spend the next day as we cross each other, passing through the halls of the house and yeah. doing our thing going, what about he does this? What yeah. about this? What about we see it like this? Or we see yeah. it like that. And it might be 20 different incarnations of that thought until we go, yeah, that's the one. So logistically, how does it work when you're parenting two kids, sometimes working from home? And also working creatively together. When we do come up with book ideas together, we come up with it, we present it, and then we just need a break. Like we just walk away and we do have that time apart because I think it's really important to have that space. And a lot of the time I am just illustrating without Robin. He's not like peering over my shoulder. Likewise with your writing. I really let him go for it because he is so talented that I want to let him. But I was going to say, you know, the, the boot is very much on the other foot when I start writing and I feel the pressure, you know, I feel the pressure of having to live up to you and what I know you're going to do with it from an illustrations point of view and representing us both. And I know that if I don't crack, if you can imagine we've pitched the story and now I've got to make the story work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if I can't live up to that, then I'm letting Bex down as well. So I feel that. Yeah. So we often email each other things which I think sometimes is a healthier way than showing because you don't get the instant reaction like, you know, so sometimes (laughs) when the other person gets digested in a separate space, it is a little healthier. And I do think it's healthy that we both can go and do other jobs and come back to it because I think working on it full time together, we would literally be like Homer and Bart strangling each other. (laughs) (laughs) And so in in your house, do you have separate workspaces or...? Um, we we try to make sure we're working in different spaces, yeah. Yeah, I'm upstairs at the moment. We've got like this studio attic thing actually, which was overlooking a really um, hot builder yesterday. It had a great view of just like this guy with no top on walking on the roof next door, which was really great. So I put the blind down <laughs> and made sure Peggy got back to work. <laughs> yeah, no, so we do try. Like sometimes you'll go to the bedroom or 
But look, it's interesting how we work. You know, sometimes you're doing a commissioned illustration. Sometimes I'm off in an advertising agency doing a contract and occasionally we're sitting together brainstorming about books, but it's, you know, it's not constant. No. It's not too intense and we break it up and move around and yeah. try to, you know, alleviate the stress. Yeah. Like I'll go in the gym in the middle of the day or something just to give each other space or like maybe we'll both, oh, this is another thing where we'll, if the kids, maybe we'll, one will buy in the kid and then another will have just some time away from everyone. And then I feel like we can get back that. I miss you. <laughs> Let me miss you, Robin. <laughs> and I do have a motorbike. I want to confess now. And I do not That he got take... when I was nine months pregnant. God, he's such I... a responsible father. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, I'm not thinking about Becky or the books when I'm on the motorbike. Are you thinking about the hot builder from next door like I am yeah, now? That's who I'm thinking about. <laughs> I wanted to also ask you, like your work combines kind of equal parts political consciousness mm. and humour, which is a pretty winning combo to mm. get messages across. And we're good looking. <laughs> also, <laughs> without a doubt. So where does this come from? Well, Personal we're Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> Ta-da! I, grew up, I grew up on a steady diet of Woody Allen films. Mm. We love comedy. Yeah. We love satire. Yeah. We're not very, we're not very we... good Jews. <laughs> oh, no, I mean... Not Lapsed. in that regard, no. Rabbi Rogan, if you're listening. Um, no, we're not in that way, but we do that. The, yeah, we have a shared love of that kind of culture, don't we? Yeah. We've just been uh, binging on the marvellous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. We lo- if, yeah. If anyone's into that show, that's sort of a, a good indication of, I mean, what makes Jews funny, I think. <laughs> you know, we, we like gallows humour. If you look at Lenny Bruce... He was the first comedian who basically just started talking about what was happening in the world rather than making, mm. you know, bad one-liner kind of jokes. So th- this is this is our background. This is our DNA. We like to joke yeah. even in the face of adversity. I think that we've had a lot of suffering in the past and we've kind of chosen to attack it sometimes with humour and I think that's mm. why maybe naturally we are funny people, I think. I think mm. if you can look towards that. Seinfeld's also for both of us been such a huge influence in our lives, hasn't it? Like yeah, we love like absolutely. I think our, our relationship would never have come together without Seinfeld. I remember the first thing you and I both laughed about when we met each other was Sarah Silverman. Oh yeah. And um we do listen to other comedians, not just Jewish ones. <laughs> are there, are there Jewish ones? <laughs> and there's another aspect to Judaism or the Jewish culture, and it's neuroticism. Yes. And neuroticism, oh I think, as an observer, is uh, amusing. As an observer? I yeah, think I, you well, are if like you're not a... living in it. Beck and Robin's latest book is called My Folks Grew Up in the 80s. As someone who was a child in the 80s myself, it's a really fun read with colourful pictures that capture the essence of the era. She's a bit of an 80s tragic, really. <laughs> I froze in time. Yeah. You're going off to your retro I sweat do, classes I, on Thursday. I do a weekly have to go and dance to 80s aerobics every Thursday. Robin knows that if he doesn't get home mm-hmm. on time. Big trouble. Big trouble. <laughs> a, a girl up the street is, um, you know, wearing the, the leg warmers and riding roller skates rather than roller blades and yeah. scooters and stuff. It it was happening around us yeah. and I think we just channeled it. 
Yeah. And it's so hilarious, the fact that the 80s was 30 years ago. <laughs> and that dawned on us that our, your folks, literally, kids today's folks literally grew up in the 80s, not the 50s <laughs> or the 60s. But there's a, there's a tension in the book. It's not just a walk down memory lane. What's nice about the book, I think, is that that particular decade is when the technology um, that we take for granted today started to emerge. Mm, yeah. So, you know, it moved out of the business world and we started to have devices that could record music and, yeah. and um, uh, you know, cameras and video cameras and things like that. I remember being a child and going on a school um, what do you call them? Uh, excursion to the zoo, <laughs> a school excursion to the zoo. And, and, and I was in charge of the video camera. Now that meant carrying a 10 kilogram box by my side, slung over my neck, slung around my shoulder and a huge camera, with this enormous lens. I mean, people recording the news for channel 10 these days are carrying around less. It was just a really yeah. bizarre time. But my and my my attraction to it is the absolute fantasy of the eighties, like the music. It's just how crazy it was. Like one of the spreads, it was like for you know musicians, it's like dressing up for Halloween every day. And I'm obsessed with the eighties music video clips because there's no story. It was just like just go for it. I feel like they turned up on the the day and just improvised. It was great. So, you know, there was this, but I, and I feel like that creativity kind of dulled down a bit in the nineties and the two thousands and everything. It never had the same appeal. No. I mean, if you think about all those Eurythmics, the video clips or oh. Prince and Madonna and mm. Michael Jackson. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was, and, in, yeah. And there were so many quirks of the time as well, like in the fashion, the shoulder pads and the hypercolor t-shirts and the little, yep. the bits of paraphernalia, the troll dolls and those pencil cases that had all the little... <gasps> secret compartments. Secret compartments. I am a professional of 80s gizmos now because I've looked at them. So I wanted it. And that was actually, this was the hardest book I've done because I wanted to get everything so accurate, the colours, but still be in my style. So it was a real challenge. That was when you were like, go back, do it again. And I was like, no, but then I knew I had to keep going. But back to the tension I was talking about, we kind of knew that taking our kid, a seven-year-old, and saying to him, hey, you know, you want to watch a movie, we put on the TV, <laughs> we get the Netflix, you sit back, we put the microwave popcorn on, you know, and your life is good. Back in our day, we had to convince mum or dad to take us to a place called a video library. Yeah. We'd have to have money. We'd have yeah. to get the video. Most of them were out of stock. Yeah. We'd have to drive home. We'd have to put it on, watch it, and you had to rewind it before you took it back the very next day. You know, it, yeah, it's and, just and like, remember if you get didn't bring your it head back. around that. Yeah. yeah, remember if you didn't bring it back, you got a really big fine. Yeah. But it turns out that bringing the quirks and highlights of the '80s to life visually wasn't without its challenges. I'd just rather go for it creatively and then be told later that I can't do it so a lot of the times you know we did put things like the karate kid in or you know because so much of the 80s was the whole pop culture side and then the legal would come back and go no you can't do that you can do this so I actually came up with like creative ways to get around it which was I actually think in the end more visually exciting so for example I couldn't put E.T. I drew E.T. in the book um you know in the bicycle Oh, was... but it was so much better when we took it yeah. out and put a little koala that looked like <laughs> ET. So, you know, those things kind of push you and it's, it's always a challenge, but 
I think, yeah, it, it's so nice that we work together on it because we can kind of come up with those solutions together that make it a better, a better outcome. Mm. I mean, at the time, it's threatening our marriage. <laughs> and at the other end, we're high fiving. And, you, you know, know, and that's the other thing like, it. too, I don't think I could be with anyone in a relationship that didn't, that wasn't creative because it's just too much of who I am. So even though we probably get really sick of each other because of this creative tension, I don't think I would be with someone that I couldn't do it. It's a, I, I can't explain it, but I, it's really important to me. I don't know if it is to you, but. Oh, it's pretty important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I know, and I also mean... to be, to be able to show our kids that we're doing something together, it's pretty special. Like, and how does it feel for you to know that your books are now also in other households oh in story time? Do you know what? It's really interesting. I think kids love authors and illustrators um, so much. Like kind of they haven't outgrown the, the magic of that where, you know, a celebrity is a YouTube influencer. So we're still seen as these amazing people in their lives. And I get such a kick. You know, I was in Kmart and this kid came up to me and recognized me from being at a kid's school. I was like. Yeah. You know, it was great. I get such a kick out of it. And I get so, you know, when people actually write and say how much they love, especially the PM one, because I know how valuable that is, that it's being taught in schools. That's just a huge, I get a huge kick out of it. Yeah. You know, if I, um, I'm having a conversation with somebody and it, and it, it's relevant for me to talk about our books, even when I'm talking about my professional life because of you know, the, the merging of these two worlds. So if I'm talking to advertising people and it comes up that we've written these books and they've heard about them, they've mm. read them to their kids, there really is no bigger thrill. Big thanks to Beck and Robin for sharing their story. The music you heard in this episode is by Berlin-based Aussie electronic artist Orimoto. Thanks also to the Human Ordinary team. Head over to humanordinary.com for links, pics and for more info on this story and many others. This episode was produced by me, Cinnamon Nippard. That was Cinnamon Nippard. That was Cinnamon's last story for this season of Human Ordinary. From the get-go, Cinnamon has been the veteran producer around Human Ordinary HQ, and it's been amazing being able to learn from her experience. At the start of the year, Cinnamon was adamant she didn't want to inject herself into her stories, and for the most part, she remained true to that. But I'm really glad that she was able to be swayed just a little bit, and you all got to get a sense of the awesome person she is. Thanks, Sin. I've realised that at the end of May's last episode, I didn't have any nice words for her. Poor form, Sam. So let me just say that when I had decided that I wanted other producers to work on the show, May's was the first name that came to mind. Because her mind is curious about the ordinary and the everyday. I think she has a cracking sense of humour and she can also put back a pint. Thanks, May. Human Ordinary is produced in Melbourne and Sydney by Mick Cavazzini, May Jasper, Cinnamon Napard, and me, Sam Loy. Special thanks to Claire Tonti at Planet Broadcasting and Guy Scott Wilson at ACAST. 
Our artwork is by Fergal Quigley, and our theme music is by The Contortionist Handbook. Score ad-free episodes and exclusive rewards by subscribing to Human Ordinary at possible.com. For more info on the show, head to the website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Anyway, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.